Today we are going to be doing a set review for Zendikar Rising. This will also include talking about the commander deck, but I'm going to start with just the normal set review. So I'm not going to talk about all the cards, but I will try to briefly touch on uh, most cards that are relevant. So I feel like the general category of set reviews is a little bit washed out, and I don't really know exactly what my solution to that is. I'll leave a link in the description where you can see all the new cards, and another link where you can see all the reprints. Uh, so if you want to see the less notable cards, then you can do that. Alright, so let's get into it. Angel of Destiny. 3 white white for a 2-6 with flying and double strike. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you and that player each gain that much life. At the beginning of your end step, if you have at least 15 life more than your starting life total, each player Angel of Destiny attacked this turn loses the game. So first of all, this can be really good with cloning effects because it can attack multiple people. Second of all, basically this means each player gains that much life so your opponent won't actually be taking any damage, their life will not be going lower, your life will just be going higher. So think of it as instead of dealing damage, you are gaining life. And third of all, this is good with combats, extra combat stats. Uh, Archon of Emeria is two and a white for two, three, flying. Each player can't cast more than one spell each turn. And non-basic lands your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. So this is good because it's just a stacks piece. Uh, in a deck that cares about stacks pieces, this is good. Uh, Arch Archpriest of Iona is a white for an X2. Archpriest of Iona's power is equal to the number of creatures in your party. Your party consists of up to one each of cleric, rogue, warrior, and wizard. Rules clarification, uh, parties, if you have a changeling or something that is multiple of those types, for that thing that is multiple of those types, you will get to choose which of the things it classifies as. Um, so basically, it will only count as one, not all of them. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, target creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains flying on the turn. It's just, it's okay. I mean, personally, I think for the party mechanic, it's not that great. Because the only way that it's playable for 99% of these cards is if you have a full or close to full party. You have to consistently be able to get a lot of the car, a lot of the creatures within the, within the party, meaning you have to build around it. And with these cards, it's just difficult, not really worth it, and they don't synergize that great if you do build around them. So I don't like it that much, but maybe it'll work. Uh, another card. So maybe I should get into the mechanics, but you know what? I'll just talk about them when they come up. All right. So, a cycle of cards. So, there are basically two similar cycles. So, I'm going to start with a monocolored land cycle, and they enter the battlefield tapped unless you pay three life. And on the other side is a seven mana spell, four and, I, thi I think it's four and three of a color, where you get some effect. So, uh, one example of this would be, which side is it technically? Okay. Uh, so I'm not sure which one it technically is, Amiria's Call or Amiria's, uh, Amiria's Shattered Skyclave, but it's one of those, and when it enters the battlefield, you may pay life. If you don't, it enters the battlefield tapped, so it's a land, 
So you can choose when you play slash cast it, depending on if it's land or if it's a spell. You can choose to either play it as land, or you can choose to cast it as a sorcery. Four white white for a sorcery. Create two four four white angel warrior creature tokens with flying. Non-angel creatures you control gain indestructible until your next turn. So I think this is a great cycle because it's just a way to give extra versatility to your land. If you're in a deck with a lot of lands, such as a landfall deck, or if you just like playing it safe, uh, this is a great way to add utility. And even if you and even if you do are running a little low on lands, then if you have an effect you care about on one of these spells, then that's great. You can just put it in, right? You're adding another spell without taking away a land, and that is incredibly useful. And if any of these are powerful, then they're just instant staples. There's also a similar cycle of those lands where they just enter tapped and tap for the white, white mana. They're also cheaper spells. So there's a similar cycle. We'll see some of those soon. All right. Felidar Retreat, three and a white for an enchantment. Landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, choose one. Create a 2-2 two, two white cat creature token. Or put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance until end of turn. Um, this is fine. This is useful. I mean, it's good. I mean, Landfall plus these things are not necessarily going to synergize that well. But it is just good value. Alright, uh, next up is the next cycle I was talking about. So, you can choose to either have it a land, enter as a land that can tap for a white and enters tapped, or you can play Kibira Takedown. Uh, the other card is, the other side is called Kibira Plateau. Kibira Takedown is one and a white for an instant. Kibira Takedown deals damage equal to number of creatures you control, a target creature, or planeswalker. So, it's just removal. It's alright. Uh, next up is Legion Angel. Legion Angel is two white white for a 4-3 with flying. Whenever Legion, when Legion Angel enters the battlefield, you may reveal a card you, you own named Legion Angel from outside the game and put it into your hand. So, in Commander, this effect does not work. You cannot get a card from outside of the game. Because there are no sideboards in Commander, which is typically what that phrase would mean, it doesn't work and you can't get something from outside the game. So, therefore, in Commander, it's just pretty bad. Uh, in other formats, we'll have to see. Uh, I know there are a lot of cards that do allow you to get stuff from searching through your deck or, you know, just things that will replace themselves with a copy of themselves that have been played, but it being 4 mana changes that, but it being a good value flying creature also changes that. So I don't know what exact whether this will see play, I think we'll just have to see. I mean I'm sure people are already brewing with it, but I just, I don't know, I don't really, I'm not as in tune with other formats as I am in, with Commander. Alright, Luminarch Aspirant is 1 in a white for a 1-1. One, one. Creature, human, cleric. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Um, this is good. I mean, it's not the best thing in the world, but it definitely has good utility. So, if you're in a deck that cares about plus one, plus one counters, then this could just 
get you a lot of value over time. McKinney Stampede is three white white for sorcery. Creatures you control get plus two plus two until end of turn. And on the other side, it has McKinney Mesas, which is a land, and it enters tapped, and you can tap it for white. McKinney Stampede is actually, in my opinion, extremely powerful. In a deck that is a token deck, this could be your win card. Having that option of either being a land in the early game or late game, this is, or late game, likely winning you the game, this is an incredibly powerful card at all points in the game. I mean, I wouldn't call a tapped land incredibly powerful, but you get the point. These types of cards are incredibly important in token decks or decks that make a lot of creatures. And running too many of them or having duplicates of them can be annoying. And it can also be very annoying to get them early in the game. This solves that problem. So I think it's going to be incredibly useful. Alright, Maul of the Skyclaves is two and a white for an artifact equipment. When Maul of the Skyclaves enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has flying and first strike. This is pretty good. Uh... I mean, I don't mess with equipments that much, but I do think this will be very useful in a lot of decks. Plus two, plus two, flying, and first strike for just three mana is quite good. But if it doesn't stay on there, having to pay two white, white to equip it again, kind of kind of pricey. Alright, Undo Inversion is six white, white for sorcery. Destroy all non-land permanents. And on the other side is a land. Undo Sky Ruin. It enters the battlefield tapped, and you can tap it for white. So, I've said this before, but you can choose which side to cast it. Um, I don't know how I feel about this, honestly. It being 8 mana is a lot. Uh, most, eh, I wouldn't say most, a significant portion of commander games, you will never be able to cast this. But if you are able to cast this, cast this, Unless you're winning, which in which case it's fine to not have the utility of a single card. I mean, that's up to debate, but you get the point. Unless you're winning, you're going to want to cast this spell. Because you have 8 mana, so other people probably also have a lot of mana. So, I don't know. I mean, it being a land is a very redeeming quality, but it entering tapped and only tapping for 1 mana doesn't really help it that much. So, the other side... I don't know how much you're going to be able to use that. But if you have a lot of ramp, then I could see it being good. Alright, um, next up is Sajiri Shelter. One and white for an instant. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. And other, on the other side, it has Sajiri Glacier. Uh, again, you can choose which side. And it enters the battlefield tapped, and you can tap it for white. So we are seeing a lot, like a lot of cards that will just give us something, a, a free spell, almost. I mean, for the cost of replacing a plane with a tapped land, we get the option to have this free spell. Now, I don't know whether I should read these all, because they are good. You know, like, having that land just makes them so good. But they're also not good. You know, like, is it really worth it? I mean, this card in particular could go in a replicate deck. It could go in a Zada uh, with white, some multicolor Zada deck or something, right? There's a lot of different things, a lot of utilities these cards have. So, I don't know. 
I mean, it just depends on the deck. But having to make such a small sacrifice means it's very easy to include it. Alright, Skyclave Apparition. One white white for 2-2. Two, two. When it enters the battlefield, exile up to one target non-land to non-land non-token permanent you don't control with CMC 4 or less. And when it leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. So, first notable thing, you can do the sacrifice outlet trick where when it enters the battlefield, you put the uh, exile, exile um, trigger on the staff, then you sacrifice it, it will leave the battlefield, they'll make a 0-0, and then you'll get to exile something. So, that can be useful. Uh, second of all, it seems pretty decent. I mean, not the best card in the world, not the worst card in the world. CMC4 less makes it kind of bad, but I don't know. I think we'll see. I don't think it'll see widespread gameplay, but it might It might be seen some places. Skyclave Cleric is 1 in a white for 1-3. When it enters the battlefield, you gain 2 life. It's, it's a land on the other side, so... I don't think this one in particular is actually worth it um, in really any deck. I mean, maybe there's something, but this just doesn't give us value. So, maybe I'm wrong, but I just think these do have a price. I mean, at the beginning I was thinking maybe it's not that much, but it is there, and you definitely don't want to overdo it. Alright, Squad Commander is... Three and a white for a 3-3. Three, three. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white warrior creature token for each creature in your party. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, creatures you control get plus 1, plus 0, and gain indestructible until end of turn. Okay, sorry. I misread that. Squad commander. When squad commander enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white core creature token for each creature in your party. Not at the beginning of combat. That would be insane. So... This is interesting, right? It itself is a one. So you know you're going to get at least one. And if you have a full party, it's insane, right? Every single creature you control, including it, gets plus one, plus zero, and indestructible. That is just very, very powerful. So I don't know. Maybe you can build around parties, but it just seems very inconsistent. Alright, next up, not a really exactly a white card, but we'll, we'll talk about it anyway. Khazri, Beacon of Unity. Four and a white for a 4-6. Legendary creature, human warrior. This spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. Two, uh, sorry, two hybrid blue, two hybrid black, two hybrid red, two hybrid green. So, basically, what those two hybrid whatever... Basically, you can choose to either pay two or a blue, two or a black, two or a green, two or a uh, red. And then you can have this ability. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal up to two cleric, rogue, warrior, and or ally cards from among them and put them into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, where does this go? I think that it's as it's intended. If you want to build this in an ally deck, it could work, but in my opinion, General Khazri does a much better job. Or if you wanted to build this in the way they intend it as a party deck. This is 
built around having a full party. First of all, it's a warrior, so you already get one thing full. Second of all, it gets cheaper. Third of all, you get to find more. You get to find more cards within your party. And your five colors, so you're not missing out on very much. Alright, so that is white out of the way. Let's see how we're doing on time. 17 minutes. We're definitely behind. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Alright, next up. So, honestly, I'm going to skip over some of these tapped lands. Like, they're good, right? But they're just not that good. So, I'm going to skip over some of them. If they're good, I will say them. Alright, Cherix? Sharix? Sharix? Cherix? I have no idea how to say that. Sharix, I'm going to go with. The Raging Isle. Two blue blue for a zero seventeen. Spells your opponent's cast that target Charix, the Raging Isle, cost two more to cast. And it has three. Charix gets plus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of islands you control. So, this is interesting. So, the first thing that comes into my head is, do we have anything within these colors that will basically make its power the toughest. And we have some ways to do it, but it's very difficult and there's not very many great options. So that's a good, that is a way to do it, but it's not the best thing in the world. So then what if we look at the way they want us to do it? Islands. We want like 16, 15, something like that. Not, not necessarily a 16, 1. That's a little bit overkill. Let's say we want like five toughness or something. We want 12 islands. But we're in mono blue, and we definitely do have some island ramp in mono blue, like one or two cards, but that's not enough. So what are we going to do? You know, like, I don't really know what the best solution for this is. I think it's just a generic mono blue uh, Voltron command. Not that there's very many of those. I think you build it like any other Voltron commander. Put tons and tons of equipment on it that are useful. Now, you can activate this ability twice, um, which then you can move into, you know, reducing the cost of activated abilities. That could work too. But I think you just put lots and lots of equipment on it, and as a bonus, you can use that mana ability. Deal some more damage. That way, it'll be bigger. You can hit that 21 if you have enough islands. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. But it, it having built-in protection um, makes it pretty decent. But considering that the built-in protection is, is the spells only costing two more to cast, I don't think that's the best protection because most removal spells are below three mana. And considering Charix is four mana, that's going to protect it, uh, best case scenario, one turn. Which, with this commander in particular, is not enough. So, I don't know. Let's move on. Confounding Conundrum is one in a white for an enchantment. Whenever Confound- sorry, when Confounding con Conundrum enters the battlefield, draw a card. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control- if that player had another land enter the battlefield under your under their control this turn, they return a land they control to its owner's hand. So that sounds a little complicated. Basically, when it enters, draw a card. If a land enters on an opponent's control, if that opponent 
has already had an, a land enter before, like on that turn, then they're going to return a land of their choice to their hand. So, I mean, that's, eh. I mean, it's a stacks piece to hate on landfall, trying to test multiple lands in a turn decks, but I don't know how good this is. I mean, how commonly is this going to work past when you cast it, right? Because a lot of land ramp cards are CMC2. So, first of all, you're just going to lose half, well, not half the utility, but a lot of the utility from it being CMC2. So, I don't really know. Um, how many spell land spells are instant speed? Not very many. It could be useful. I don't really know. I think it has to be tested. Plus, people might get mad. They might categorize it as land destruction, which... I don't think that's a reason. I say that's not really a reasonable claim, but that's not really my choice. All right, well, I don't know about that one. It could be good, it could be bad. Maybe I'll try and analyze it. Coralheim Chronicler uh, is two and a blue for two two. Whenever you cast a tick spell, draw a card, then discard a card. When Coralheim Chronicler enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a card with a ticker ability from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, ticker, right? There are a lot of cards with ticker in here. I glossed over a lot of them just because ticker is kind of not that great. Um, but this is a good card, a good example. And there have been cards in the past with ticker. So, I don't know. I mean... Being able to get a kicker spell is good, and being able to cycle through your deck after casting them is also nice, but I, I just don't, I don't see the archetype. Like, there's, there's, uh, that red-green commander from a while ago, uh, that would work with kicker, and that was a good deck, but it wasn't even necessarily building around kicker. It was more of a plus-one-plus-one counter deck, trying to focus on getting as many plus one plus one counters as you could onto the commander. So, I don't really know. Plus, that's also not in blue. So, maybe there is a good deck um, somewhere, but I don't really know exactly how it would work. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll try and put it together. Okay, uh, next is Glass Pool Mimic. Two and a blue for a creature. Shapeshifter Rogue. You may have Glass Pool Mimic enter the battlefield as a copy of a creature you control, except it's a shapeshifter rogue in addition to its other types. I completely nailed this one, sort of. So, first of all, on the other side, it has a land and enters the battlefield tapped. When I was talking about Mark Rosewater spoilers, uh, I'll, I'll leave a link in the description uh, to that episode, I predicted shapeshifter rogue, right? He said that was going to be one of the creature types. I said, this is going to be a clone and it's going to maintain its creature type. That's what I said, and I was completely right. And this is so much more powerful than I expected. It being three mana for a clone by itself is actually incredibly powerful. I mean, it maintaining its creature type is a little bit a little bit weird, but I would say it's good. So I think this is incredibly powerful. Three mana for a clone by itself 
is very good. And having the option to also instead put a land down makes it even better. So, I don't know. I mean, we will see, but I will definitely be putting this in my Tazri Zada ally blink thing deck. Uh, I'll leave a link in the description to my deck tech for that also. So, yeah, I mean, this is incredibly good in my opinion. Alright, Inscription of Insight. Three and a blue for sorcery. Kicker, two blue blue. Choose one. If this spell was kicked, choose any number instead. The options are return up to two target creatures to their owner's hand. So you can do your own. Scry two, then draw two cards. Target player creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the number of cards in their hand. Alright, so let's go through these. Uh, three and a blue. If we just cast it and we get one. Uh, returning up to two target creatures to their owner's hands, not great value, but it is good utility. Scry two, then draw two cards. Same thing, you could get that for three mana. Not great value, but it it is good utility. I mean, I, could you get that for three mana? Only in black, I think. Uh, target creature creates target player creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the number of cards in their hand. In niche cases, that would be quite good, but most of the time it wouldn't. Alright, so what if we did them all at the same time? Return up to target two target creatures to their owner's hands. Keep in mind, this is 8 mana. Um, that's useful, and then you get to scry 2, then draw 2, and then you get to make that XX. So that XX is going to be too bigger than it was before. Um, but you are casting this out of your hand, and it's turn 8, so you've been casting, playing a lot of lands, and ramp, or whatever. So, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't think it's very good, but, eh, no, I don't think it has utility. I mean, I'd say maybe in a specific deck, but none of these deck abilities are niche. They're just kind of good stuff, except that they're not particularly powerful. So, I don't think this has great utility, but maybe I'm wrong. Alright, Jace, Mirror Mage. One blue blue for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Jace. It has kicker two. And when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, create a legendary token that's a copy of Jace. Except it's not legend- sorry. Create a token of Jace, except it's not legendary and its starting loyalty is one. So, it has a plus one scry two. And it has a zero, draw a card and reveal it. Remove a number of loyalty counters equal to that card's converted mana cost from Jace. So, I don't know. I mean, if you cast it for three mana, then you're getting four loyalty and you'll get to draw a couple cards off of it. Scry two, something like that. I mean, in most commander decks, the I'd say most commander decks, the average converted mana cost is around 3, but that doesn't count lands. So maybe the actual average converted mana cost is somewhere close to 2. So mm, on average with that one you might get 2 hits from it, so I don't know. I mean it seems okay, but it just doesn't seem that great. So maybe in a specific deck that cares about scry, I could see it being quite powerful. But if it doesn't care about scry, I don't think you should put it in. Alright, uh, next up is Lowell Mage's Domination. X blue 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 for a sorcery. This spell costs three less to cast if it has 
if it targets a creature whose controller has eight or more cards in their graveyard. Gain control of target creature with converted man cost uh, X. Eh, I don't know. I mean, it costs him three less. If it if it fits that, it's okay. I don't love it. I mean, nowadays you can get just a card that will take control of a creature for four mana. Now, usually that would be like an equip, like an equipment or something, or, or sorry, an aura. But I don't know. It doesn't seem that great to me. Maybe it could be. Uh, but I just think it's an expensive way to do it. Alright, Maddening Cacophony is one and a blue for a sorcerer. Picker, three and a blue. Each opponent mills eight cards. If this spell was kicked, instead each opponent mills half their library rounded up. That is insane. So, first of all, though two mana each opponent mills eight cards is quite powerful, honestly. That is 24 cards for 2 mana. That's really good. And then if you just want to get even more insane, you can pay 6 mana, only 6 mana, to make each opponent, not one. This would be good if all it were were 6 mana to mill one opponent. No, this is 6 mana to mill each opponent by half of their library. And it's rounded up. So, with commander, with cards that will double the amount milled, especially the commander that does that, you can just instantly get all your opponents to not have libraries anymore. That is incredibly powerful. Especially because it's rounded up. That's really good. Alright, Master of Winds. Two, blue, blue, for one, four. When it enters the battlefield, draw two cards and discard a card. Whenever you cast an instant or instant sorcery or wizard spell, you may have Master of Winds base power become 4-1 or 1-4 until end of turn. Eh, that seems kind of bad. I mean, 4 mana and you get to draw 2 and then discard. That's nice, but it's just... I, I, I kind of expect it to be a 4-4. Then it might be okay, but even then, it doesn't seem that great. So... I mean, we'll see, but I just don't think it's great. Not not that useful. Alright, uh, Merfolk Falconer is 3 blue blue for a 4-4 four, four. whenever you cast a kicked spell, Scry 2. I mean, there's some use... I mean, Scry... There's a lot of things like this whenever you cast a kicked spell. You can get some utility, but I'm just not seeing the deck. Maybe it, Maybe it'll be there. Maybe it'll pull together. Alright, uh, next is Nimble Trap Finder. One and a blue for two one. It can't be blocked if you had another cleric, rogue, warrior, or wizard enter the battlefield under your control this turn. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party of creatures you control gain, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card until end of turn. So, this is the issue I was talking about earlier. Basically, if you are playing, if you are not playing a, uh, a party deck, then you're not going to consistently be able to have a full party, so this just isn't useful. There are a lot of decks that really care about that whenever you, uh, this creature deals combat damage to a player draw a card effect, but because you're not going to have a full party, it doesn't matter. But if you are playing a full party, uh, a party deck, then, I mean, this is alright. You know, like, you're 
gonna have creatures and you're gonna be attacking with them and it'll be nice to get cards but you're just not taking full advantage of this it being two mana is really nice though all right uh then there is seagate you know what i skipped over something ruin crap blue for creature crap landfall whenever land enters the battlefield under your control each opponent mills three cards they are doing this a lot they are turning basically older cards into new cards that say each opponent melts it just makes it significantly more powerful and it being landfall makes it free for you so this is going to be incredibly good and give you a lot a lot of value to mill deck i think this this set has made mill an even more powerful archetype all right uh, I mean, in the past, Mill was sort of powerful with specific commanders, but not generally. I think this could make a lot more commanders viable for Mill. Alright, Seagate Restoration. Four, blue, blue, blue. So, seven mana. Draw cards equal to number of cards in your hand plus one. You have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. And on the other side, it has a land. It enters tapped unless you pay three life. And you can tap it for blue. So, it seems okay. I mean, 7 mana, drawing the number of cards in your hand can be can be useful in a deck that cares about it. Like maybe a Locust God deck, but that's a lot of mana. So, I don't really know. I mean, it could work. It could also not work. Alright, Seagate Storm Color is 1 and a blue for 2-1. Kicker, 4 and a blue. When Seagate Stormcaller enters the battlefield, copy the next instant or sorcery spell you cast this turn when you cast it. If Seagate Oracle was kicked, or sorry, next instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost 2 or less, you cast this turn when you cast it. If it was kicked, copy that spell twice instead. You may choose new targets for the copies. Uh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think this is bad. Basically, it having to be CMC 2 or less just makes it kind of bad. If you cast it for the normal version, then you get to copy it once, and, you know, you get a small amount of value. But with it being CMC 2 or less, you're just not going to get that much. The best, cheaper cards are removal, and those have diminishing returns. And then, if you want to kick it, well, you're, you're talking about 8 or 9 mana. So, first of all, that's a lot of mana, so you're going to want to win the game for the, that effect. And it doesn't really solve the problem. It being cast three times doesn't really make it that much better. I think the utility for this is flicker, right? Uh, being able to flicker it and then get the next flicker spell uh, copied is just going to make it very useful. So, I don't know. I mean... I could see playing this. Uh, I don't think I would, uh, but it definitely would have a utility um, in a couple decks of mine. Well, one deck, but whatever. Alright, Slundy's Vision is 2 and a blue for an instant. Look at the top 6 cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And on the other side, it's a tapped blue land. Eh, okay, it seems maybe okay if they're in a deck that has a lot of instants and sorceries, but not the best. Alright, Heaving Skydiver. One in a blue for 2-1. One. 
uh, picker X. Uh, when Thiever, uh, X cannot be zero, by the way. When Thieving Skydiver enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, gain control of target artifact with CMC X or less. If that artifact is an equipment, attach it to Thieving Skydiver. This is insanely powerful. First of all, it's X or less, so it includes cards that are the same as X. Second of all, if you just cast it for one, you can you can steal soul rings, you can steal moxin, not nor not the OG moxin, other moxin. You can steal so many incredibly powerful things with this. Artifacts are some of the most powerful cards in Magic, so this is going to be incredibly useful, especially with that equipment thing. If you can take swords and stuff and such things. That can be incredibly, incredibly powerful. Or it can just be mediocre. Alright, next. So we're on to black. So next up is Agadim's Awakening. X, black, black, black. For a sorcery. Return from your graveyard to the battlefield. Any number of target creature cards that each have a different converted mana cost. X or less. So uh, it also has on the other side. Uh, at... It, it's a land that can tap for black, and it can either enter the battlefield tapped, or you can pay for your life for it to enter untapped. So, I don't know. I mean, it seems... I don't know, honestly. It In order for this to be good, you have to cast it for, I don't know, maybe like four or five, maybe six mana, and hit most of those uh, different thresholds. They have to have a different converted mana cost. So unless, unlike most X spells, you can't just go extremely high and get tons and tons of value. I mean, there's not really any... There, you're not really going to get any new cards past CMC like 9 or so, depending on the deck, of course. So, I don't know. I mean, it seems like uh, in the best case scenario it could work, but... That's not really going to happen very much. But then again, on the other side, it is a land, so it's really hard to say it's just unplayable because it never really is. You know, having that land is a little sad, but it's not, you know, the worst thing. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to rag on the cards that are like that, but they are heavily nerfed because of that. But then some of them also aren't. We will see. I don't think that one in particular is very good. Alright, uh, Coveted Prize is 4 and a black for sorcery. This spell costs 1 less to cast for each creature in your party. Search your library for card. Put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. If you have a full party, you may cast a spell with converted mana cost 4 or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. So, I don't know. Seems kind of bad. Think about it this way. Uh, in a- sorry, seem kind of bad in a non-party deck. 5 mana for a tutor is just not, it's not good. That's not really a question. The question is, how is it in party deck? Well, I don't really know. I mean, it's all about how consistently you can get your party. If you can get that party when you're casting it, it is insane. It is a single black for a tutor through your library to put it into your hand. That by itself would be really good. I mean, obviously you have to have the party, so... That makes it less good, but you know, you get the point. Uh, then, if you have the full party, so you can cast a spell with CMC 4 or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. 
that is absurd if you have the party. But how much are you going to have that? And if you don't have the party, say you have one, say you have two or three cards, it's still good. I mean, if you have three, it is basically a demonic tutor, which is very, very good. And if you have two, it's a better grim tutor. So I think this is good. I mean, in a party deck, you should be able to have this that two or three, in which case it's a very, very good tutor. And in a very rare scenario, you will have four, and it will just be insane. So I think that's very powerful. But it is inconsistent, which is in which consistency is very important in tutors. So I don't know. Drana, the last blood sheep. So a new Drana uh, is three black black for four four, and it has flying. Uh, it's a legendary creature, by the way. When Drana, the last Bloodsheaf, attacks, defending player chooses a non-legendary creature card in your graveyard. You return that card to the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. The creature is a vampire in addition to its other types. So, I don't know. I mean, they get to pick a card out of your, out of your graveyard. It's very conflicting. So, first of all, non-legendary, that's fine. You just don't include that many legendaries in the deck. Second part that's really conflicting is you want to have a lot of cards in your graveyard so this can be used over and over again, and so you can get lucky and get that good card that you want. But you also want to have a very small amount of cards in your graveyard so that you can control what your opponent is picking. So, I think the, maybe the best solution to this is Graveyard Gate, but use it on yourself. So, if there's some cards you can use to exile specific cards, uh, it doesn't, it only really has to be creatures out of your graveyard, then you can mill until you hit what you want, and then get rid of everything that you don't want your opponents to pick. Now, this does require constant sources of mill, which can be hard to make sustainable, but maybe that could work, maybe it couldn't. I don't know. That's just my take on it. Alright, uh, next is... What is next? Hagra Mollen. Two black black for an instant. This, call, this spell costs one less to cast if an opponent controls no basic lands. Destroy target creature. And on the other side, it has a tapped uh, land that can tap for a black. Uh, by tapped, I mean it enters the battlefield. So... As a baseline, honestly, I think this is good. Four mana to be, able to be able to just infant speed, destroy a creature, and get a tapped land as an alternative isn't bad. I mean, it's I wouldn't say you'd play it, but it's not like you'd never ever consider playing it, you know? Like, it's decent. And then if an opponent controls no basic lands, uh, this totally depends on your meta, first of all, budget and all that stuff. But I think that's quite good. I mean, I feel like that's fairly common. Not like the most common thing in the world, but I think it happens a good amount of time. Alright, next up, Inscription of Ruin is two and a black for sorcery. Uh, kicker, two black, black. Choose one. If this spell was kicked, choose any number instead. Uh, the options are, target opponent discards two cards. Return target creature with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And destroy target creature with converted mana cost 3 or less. 
I don't know if you guys can hear that, but I am turning off my phone. So, basically, uh, if we just think about it, so for the two mana, for the three mana version, if we play it without picking it, it's okay. I mean, discarding two cards can be very useful in a specific deck, but I don't think that's that great. Returning a card is not great, and destroying a creature is good in specific scenarios, but really not that great. So what if we pick it? I mean, if we don't pick it, I think it's kind of bad, but if we could have utility for that discard two cards, it could be definitely playable. Uh, if we do pick it, then it's seven mana, target opponent discards two cards, somewhat useful. The returning of the creature, not that useful, but might have some niche, niche benefits. And destroy target creature with converted mana, cost three or less. So, I don't think that's great either. Um, I think maybe in a deck that could have a good use for that target opponent discards two cards and would consider playing it, you know, just the three mana dis target opponent discards two cards, then it could definitely have a uh, good utility. But other than that, I don't think it's that great. Alright, uh, next up is Malika Rebirth. Instant, choose target creature, you lose two life. Until end of turn, that creature gains. When this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control. And it's a land on the other side. It's tapped, and you can tap it for black. It's alright. I mean, it's not the best thing in the world, not the worst thing in the world. Protection's nice. Land's nice. If you can just hold this up, and maybe eventually you'll use the land, maybe eventually you'll use the protection. I think that's pretty good. Pretty useful. Uh, also, it dying and then returning back can be nice. Alright, next is Marauding Bright Blight Priest. Two and a black for 3-2. Whenever you gain life, each opponent loses a life. This is good. Um, in some, in a lot of decks, such as Soul Sisters and things. Uh, this could definitely go in my Aura deck, by the way. Uh, this was not spoiled when I made the deck list. Uh, in a lot of Soul Sisters decks that we just get triggers after triggers, tons and tons and tons of triggers of just life, 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 over and over and over. If you are just getting tons and tons of triggers of gaining life over and over and over again, this could be very useful. If not, it's pretty bad. Alright, next up is Nighthawk Scavenger. One black black for a one plus X. Uh, flying Death Touch Lifelink Vampire Rogue. And, uh, sorry, 1 plus X3. Nighthawk Scavenger's power is equal to 1 plus the number of card types among cards in your opponent's, in your opponent's graveyards. So, I don't know. I mean, in a mill deck, that's the best spot for this. Which, this is very conflicting. So, the best spot for this is either in a mill deck or an aggro deck. In a mill deck, it can be incredibly powerful, incredibly consistent, uh, incredibly consistently. But the issue with that is you don't care about that damage as much. I mean, being able to get that lifelink is nice, but having a big, big power creature isn't that important to you. Okay, but what about in an aggro deck? Well, in an aggro deck, that damage is important to you. And there's a lot of opponents that will just give you those things in the graveyards. They'll mill your opponents, maybe. They'll mill themselves. Whatever it is, that's incredibly common. 
but that's dependent on what your opponent does. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's an aggro mill deck that's going to, you know, build around this, but I'm not sure what the solution is or how this could work because the payoff for the the payoff for the work you're doing isn't the payoff that you want. I don't. I mean, it seems incredibly powerful, but it also seems difficult to build around well. Alright, No Priest of Oblivion is 1 and a black for 2-1, with Kicker, 2, 3, and a black. Menace and Lifelink. So, 2 mana, 2, 1, Menace, Lifelink, not that great. And, if you kick it, 6 mana, uh, because it's 3 and a black, plus the 1 and a black. When it enters, if it was kicked, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Recursion's nice, not necessarily the most useful thing ever, but definitely has good value. And having a 2-1 Menace lifelink, not great, as I said before, but it could be useful in a lot of decks. Okay, next is Palaka Predation. 2 and a black for sorcery. Choose, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a card with it. You choose a card from it with converted mana cost 2 or greater. That player discards that card. Uh, 3 or greater, sorry. And it has a land that can enter tapped and tap for a black. Seems kind of bad. I mean, three or greater is not very many cards. Depends on the format, but a lot of decks, uh, such as in Commander, you're probably not going to care that much about the discard. In other formats, there's not going to be that many cards with CMC three or greater. Plus, it's three mana, so not that great, especially because in other formats, you're going to care a lot more about that tapped land. All right, Scourge of the Skyclave. One and a black for an XX. Win you cast this spell if it was kicked as kicker four and a black each opponent loses half their life rounded up and its power and toughness are each equal to 20 minus the highest life total among players so i don't know there are a lot of decks that can benefit a lot especially in like rakdos and stuff from everybody losing a lot of life but that's not the most common thing and it it's just it's difficult, you know, like you lose a lot of life doing this and it, your opponents have to be really low and everyone has to be really low in order for this to be good at attacking, you know. Plus, I mean, there's a pretty high chance this isn't just going to be able to one-shot your opponents, which means you're just going to be sitting there with most likely three opponents all trying to kill you when you can't even one-shot them, you know, like you've got like three turns probably like six turns or something you know until you can actually kill them so i don't know what the solution is i mean it's okay uh and it definitely does have utility but it's just a little awkward a little difficult to use and make it work properly uh, but maybe you just use it as a sorcery seven mana to remove to get everyone to lose half their life isn't bad and could have a really like a game-winning effect on a lot of decks so we'll see uh, i think it will definitely see a lot of play well not a lot but it will see play in the decks it's built for which is good you know that's the way it should be all right shadow's verdict is three black black for sorcery exile arc all creatures and planeswalkers with cmc three or less from the battlefield and all creature and planeswalker cards with CMC 3 or less from all graveyards. Eh, I don't know. 
I mean, if you are in a deck that has a lot of large CMC creatures and planeswalkers and stuff, then that's good, right? I mean, in a planeswalker deck, being able to get rid of that stuff, there's not going to be that many planeswalkers with CMC 3 or less. Or in a deck that just doesn't have very many small things or very many small things you care about or all the small things are ramps so you won't care about them when you're casting this. There's a lot of niches that this could work in, but your opponents are still going to have things. This is not a wrath. This is a value spell. It's not going to affect you very much, but it will do some damage to your opponents. By damage, I don't mean actual damage. I mean it will make it more difficult for them to do things. So, I don't know. I mean, it seems okay. Uh, Skyclave Shade. One and a black for a 3-1. Kicker, two and a black. Skyclave Shade can't block. And if it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. And Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if Skyclave Shade is in your graveyard and it's your turn, you may cast it from your graveyard this turn. So the kicker seems honestly really expensive and kind of useless. But the landfall ability and being able to cast it over and over again is incredibly useful, useful in my opinion. I think it's great to just be able to have some, some card you can just cast over and over and over again for very little cost or, you know, like very little effort. Alright, next up is Soul Shatter. Two and a black for an instant. Each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker with the highest CMC among creatures and planeswalkers they control. I don't know. I mean, it's okay. Uh, you could get utility out of it if you're in a deck that cares about and runs a lot of cards that will just have everyone sacrificing creatures, then this could be incredibly useful. But a lot of these decks are sacrificing creatures for the effects of one high CMC creatures. Creature. So I could definitely see this having good utility, but I could also see this sacrificing the biggest thing on your board. So you'll have to take a very careful look at your deck and see what the payoffs for the sacrifices are, whether they're creatures, and if sacrificing, and whether you'd likely sacrifice them because they're high CMC. So we'll see. Uh, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about that one. I don't think it's going to see that much play, but in the decks it does, it will be quite good. Alright, Tabarax, Hope's Desire. Two and a black for two, two with flying. Tabarax, Hope's Desire, has lifelink as long as it has five or more plus one plus one counters on it. And whenever another non-token creature you control dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Tabarax. If that creature was a cleric, you may draw a card. If you do, you lose a life. So, clerics are quite good. You know, like, this is a good deck for clerics. I mean, you can sacrifice them and bring them back over and over and over again. And this could go very well in an aura deck. Aura will be, I'll talk about that later, but basically it's just a commander that focuses on clerics and bringing them in and out, in and out, over and over and over again. So this is incredibly powerful in that deck, and it's incredibly powerful, you know, as its own cleric commander. It's just quite good as a cleric commander in general. Anything related to clerics, this will be involved with. Alright, so now we are on to red. Uh, so Ardent Ardent Electromancer is 2 and a red for a 3-2 creature, human, wizard. Ardent, when Ardent Electromancer enters the battlefield, add red for each creature in your party. 
Your party consists of up to one each of cleric, rogue, warrior, and or wizard. So it is a wizard, so you're going to get at least one. And if you're lucky, you'll get three, so it'll be free. And if you're extremely lucky, you'll get four, and there will be an anthem. Who knows? Seems okay. Uh, if you care about having that creature, which if you're in a if you're in a party deck, you will because it's a part of your party. All right. Next up is what is next up? Wow, these are. I'm just getting a chunk of not that great cards. All right. Uh, Kazul's Fury is Fling. Uh, fling is basically this effect. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sack a creature. Kazul's Fury deals damage to e equal to the sacrificed creature's power to any target. But Fling is 2 mana, Kazil's Fury is 3 mana, they are both instants. And on the other side, it's a land that enters the battlefield tap. In any deck that cares about Fling, it'll go there. Simple enough. Kargan Intimidator. 1 and a red for 3-1, cowards can't block warriors. 1. Choose one that hasn't been chosen this turn. Kargan, Kargan Intimidator gets plus 1 plus 1 until end of turn. Target creature becomes a coward until end of turn. Target warrior gains trample until end of turn. So, first of all, you can stop things from blocking Cargan Intimidator. Second of all, you can make it bigger. Third of all, you can give it trample. And if you have lots of warriors, you can get extra utility from these same abilities. Seems alright. Uh, definitely could be useful in an aggro deck. Not the best thing in the world, though. Alright, Leyline Tyrant is 2 red red for 4-4 four, four with flying. You don't lose unspent red mana as steps and phases end. This could be incredibly useful and good to just get value. And when Leyline Tyrant dies, you may pay any amount of red. When you do, it deals that much damage to any target. With that combination of abilities, it is not difficult to get into a state where there's nothing your opponent can do about you winning. Yes, there are ways around it, but if you get it set up so that if they block, so that if they don't do anything, they will just slowly die from being beaten beaten down by a 4-4 flyer, and they will lose. Or if they do do something and kill it, then you will pay tons of red mana and just kill them on the spot. So they're just in a really difficult situation, and there are some ways out of it, of course, but it's just quite difficult. Alright, Magmatic Channeler is 1 in red for 1-3. As long as there are 4 or more instant and or sorcery cards in your graveyard, it gets plus three, plus one. And tap, discard a card. Exile the top two cards of your library. Then choose one of them. You may play that card this turn. So being able to filter through your the top of your library is nice. Not the best thing in the world. And being able to get a 4-4 four, four for two mana is also quite nice. But you have to have four more instants, so that's pretty useful. Definitely could be useful in some specific decks, but and most decks Morag, Morag, Fury of Akum, I'm not sure how exactly you pronounce that, is 4 red red for a 6-6 six, six legendary creature Minotaur Warrior. Each creature you control gets plus 1 plus 0 oh, for each time it has attacked this turn. So you can use multiple combat phases to make creatures attack multiple times. And it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if it's your main phase, there's an additional combat phase after this phase. At the beginning of that combat, untap all creatures you control. This is incredibly powerful. As its own commander, you can just get tons and tons of lands and just go over and over and over again and cast and play those lands with extra land effects and stuff and just get so, so many 
you know, attack bases and have tons and tons of creatures benefiting from it. There's a lot of different things and ways you could take advantage of this. And if your playing is not as the commander, I could also see it slotting into an, a lot of 99s. A lot of landfall decks will just incidentally uh, create creatures. Think of Avenger of Zendikar. So there's a lot of different ways you can get creatures, and this could be an incredibly good way to win with them. Being able to attack over and over again can be quite good. Uh, this could also work with a lot of different combos that will give you tons or infinite attack phases. Um, but, you know, that's not too much extra. And also, it attacking for the first time, it will just get benefited. So, it's not going to be nothing if you just manage to not get any benefit. Alright, so, next up is Relic Robber. Two and a red for 2-2. Two, two. Haste. When Relic, Robber, when Relic Robber deals combat damage to a player, that player creates a 0-1 colorless goblin construct artifact creature token with this creature can't block, and at the beginning of your upkeep, this creature deals 1 damage to you. Eh, I don't know. I mean, it's really a small effect, you know? It dealing 1 damage to each upkeep will definitely add up, and it, you being able to attack them over and over again is nice, but they are likely to be able to sacrifice it or take advantage of that 0-1. So, I don't know. It could definitely be useful, but it could also backfire. So we'll have to see, but if you just choose who you're attacking carefully and you're able to get through consistently, then that's nice. Plus, it being a goblin, uh, the creature, um, or the creature you give them, not sure if you could take advantage of the creature you give them being a goblin, but this creature being a goblin, it's easy to take advantage of. Alright, Roiling Vortex. One in a red for an enchantment. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, Roiling Vortex deals one damage to them. Whenever a player casts a spell, if no mana was, was spent to cast that spell, Roiling Vortex deals 5 damage to that player. And red, your opponents can't gain life this turn. I don't know. I mean, there aren't too many decks that try and gain a lot of life. Um, you might get some utility off of that, not too much. Uh, being able to deal 1 damage to opponent, to players, every single upkeep uh, could be very useful for, you know, triggers and stuff, but I don't think it's that great. Uh, plus, it will deal damage to you, and it being, and players casting a spell without mana being spent is somewhat common. Um, could definitely be very useful, but also might just never happen, so I think it could have good value and good usage over a game, but most of the time it'll just be mediocre or not that great. Next is Shatter Skull Charger. One red red for 4-3 with kicker 2. Trample, haste. If Shatter Skull Charger was kicked, it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. And at the beginning of your end step, if Shatter Skull Charger doesn't have a plus one plus one counter on it, return it to its owner's hand. Uh, my understanding of this is in Commander, not that great. In Standard, uh, with an Ember Cleave, this could be very powerful. I don't really know too much about standard, but that could that does seem quite good. Um, being able to have a five four for five mana and then stick a stick a plus one plus one counter on it, a plus one plus one from Ember Cleave, and then giving it double strike and all that stuff, you would definitely be able to kill quite quickly with that. So 
seems very good and viable to me, but I don't know that much. Alright, Shatter Skull Smashing is X red red for a sorcerer. It deals X damage uh, divided as you choose among up to two target creatures and or planeswalker. planeswalker. If X is six or more, Shatter Skull Smashing deals twice X damage divided as you choose among them instead. I don't know. It honestly doesn't seem that great. On the other side, you have um, a tapped land that you can pay three life for it to enter untapped. It doesn't seem that great. I mean, being able to get rid of creatures is nice, but paying six or more is quite a lot of mana. That would be eight mana. And paying less than that, you're not really going to be able to get rid of very much. So it seems like an expensive, not really great uh, removal to me. Alright, uh, Song Mad Treachery is 3 red red for sorcery, gain control of target creature until end of turn, untap that creature, it gains haste until end of turn. And on the other side, it has a tapped land that can tap for red. So, being able to steal creatures is nice, not the best thing in the world. Could definitely be useful in a lot of decks and a lot of situations, but 5 mana is a lot for that effect. Tuck Tuck Rubble Fort is 2 and a red for a 0-3 creature wall with defender and reach. Creatures you control have haste. Haste is incredibly useful in a lot of decks, and this could be a very good way to do it. Especially because it's a common, it will most likely be cheap to acquire, and good in a lot of decks that, as I said before, care about haste. Valakut Awakening is 2 and a red for an instant. Put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library. Then draw that many cards plus one. Okay, so in a lot of decks, I think this is incredibly useful. But you have to be careful. You, in a lot of the decks, this will be useful, but in a lot, it won't. You have to be able to take advantage of drawing those cards. And obviously, on the other side, well, not obviously, actually. I didn't say anything about it. On the other side, it has a land that can tap for red and enters tapped. I think in a lot of decks, if you can take advantage of drawing that car, drawing those cards, this will be incredibly powerful. If you can't, it might be playable, but it also might not. So we will see. Alright, Valakut Exploration is 2 and a red for an enchantment with landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. And at the beginning of your end step, if there are if there are cards exiled with Valakut Exploration, put them into their owner's graveyard. Then Valakut Exploration deals that much damage to each opponent. Um, seems okay. I mean, it doesn't seem that great. Um, what am I talking about? I mean, being able to deal, like, one damage per turn isn't that great. If you can get a lot of landfall triggers, that's good. I mean, playing it means you can get lands. I don't know. I mean, it seems like in landfall decks, uh, where you could get a lot of triggers on it, you can get more lands, and you can get, you know, other cards that will get you more lands, and things like that. That could be useful. But it also could just not, you know... Like, it, if you just don't get very lucky on it, you know, it be dealing one damage to each opponent isn't that great. So, 
I think it'll be useful in the decks it's put in and see a good amount of play. But you have to be careful with it because the floor on it is quite low. Alright, Wayward Guide Beast is red for 2-2 with Trample and Haste. Whenever Wayward Guide Beast deals combat damage to a player, return a land you control to its owner's hand. Now, this might seem quite bad. I mean, red for 2-2 with Trample and Haste is quite a lot of damage, especially really early on. But if you don't care about that being returned, or you're in a, in a format other than Commander, uh, I'm not going to really touch on that. But in Commander, if the returning of that card to your hand is an upside, then that's not really an issue, you know? A lot of decks will want it to be returned to your hand, so you can just cast it again and get landfall triggers, stuff like that. That could be an upside, and having some damage early on isn't really a bad thing. It's not the best thing, but it's not a bad thing either. Alright, uh, next up is Ancient Green Warden. Four green green for a 5-7 with reach. You may play land cards from your graveyard. So, on a 6 mana creature, that ability is good, but not the best thing in the world. The thing that makes it incredibly, incredibly powerful is if a land entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. I'm just going to go straight into Magical Christmas Land here. So, say we're talking about a Yarok deck. So, this will double all, you know, um, enter the battlefield triggers. Then, uh, let's say on that Yarok deck, we have this ancient green warden. And then, you know what? Let's just make it even spicier. We have a panharmonicon. So, that means that we will get eight triggers every single time that a landfall trigger happens. That is insane. There's just so many triggers. You know, like in the Yarrick deck, having four triggers for every single one, if you get this, is absurd. That is so many. And being able to play lands from your graveyard is just more. It just gets out of control insanely quickly. I think that's going to be incredibly powerful. Alright, Ashaya, Soul of the World. Four, green, green. Uh, sorry, three, green, green. For an excess. Ashaya, legendary creature elemental. Ashaya, soul of the wilds, power, and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. And non-token creatures you control are forest in forest lands in addition to their other types. So I don't know. I mean, in this scenario, we're talking about every single creature that's not a token, and every single land you control is its power. I don't think having the highest power is necessarily that beneficial. So Ashaya is going to allow you to basically, the main benefit of it, since we don't care too much about the power and toughness boost, boost is making my non-token creatures into also forests. So this is just going to allow us to get a lot of ramp and also take advantage of a lot of different things. So I think this will be very useful and could be incredibly powerful in a lot of situations, but it's not like insanely broken or anything. Uh, but it could be extremely powerful in a lot of situations. Alright, Balak Dead Recovery is two and a green for a sorcery. Return target card from your graveyard to your hand. And on the other side, it has a land. Uh, it's just you can tap it for a green and it is an enters tap. I think this is incredibly powerful. In commander decks, it's important to have some recursion. 
Nowadays, uh, that is usually eternal witness, regrowth, which is just one ingredient for this effect, and I think this is a good addition to that list. It is also land, so you're really not sacrificing that much by including it. So, again, it's not really the greatest list. I'd love to have a larger list of cards that I'd include as recursion in my decks, but there just isn't the greatest selections. So, I think this is great to add to that list. Alright, next is Crag Plate Behemoth. Sorry, Baloth. 5 green green for a 6-6. Six, six. Pick her to an agree. This spell can't be countered. Hexproof haste. If Crag Plate Behemoth was picked, it enters the battlefield with 4 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. This is honestly kind of bad. 7 mana, 6-6, six, six, Hexproof haste. That can't be countered. It's nice to have protection, but that doesn't make it good. And if you make it 10 mana for a 10-10, that doesn't really fix the problem. So, that's just not really useful. Alright, Inscription of Abundance is 1 in a green for an instant. Picker, 2 in a green. Choose 1. If this spell was kicked, choose any number instead. Put 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on target creature. Target player gains X life where X is the greatest power among creatures they control. And target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. Now this is the only reasonably priced one. So, for 2 mana or for 5 mana. Now, if you cast it for 2 mana, I think the fight ability is useful. Not a great rate for it. Uh, you can get it for cheaper, but it's not a horrible rate for it either. Uh, the gaining X life isn't great, but might have utility. And the plus 1 plus 1 counters is very rarely going to have, will have utility, but it's going to be a very weak way of doing it. Um, but if you cast it for 5 mana, I mean, it's not that great. Uh, 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters, gaining some life, and fighting is nice. Uh, the plus 1 plus 1 counters do combo, not combo, synergize with the fighting and the gaining the life quite nicely, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's okay. It's not, it's not horrible, but it just isn't particularly powerful in either of the situations. If you care about fighting, I could see it as a very good card. Alright. Iridescent Horn Beetle is 4 and a green for a creature insect. At the beginning of your end step, create a 1-1 one, one green insect creature token for each plus one plus one counter you put on creatures under your control this turn. Now, this is a little bit conflicting. Like, what are we trying to do? Do we want lots of creatures, or do we want to put plus one plus one counters on the creatures? Because I feel like you kind of have to pick which. This is, I mean, there's a couple cards that will put plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. But other than that, there's not very many cards. You know what? No, I'm wrong. There are a lot of cards that focus on getting plus one plus one counters on a lot of your creatures. Think of Rishkar. This is actually quite good. I think this could be really, really powerful and interesting. Uh, I, I, I admit my fault. I don't know what I was thinking. This could be very good and useful in a lot of decks, especially Rishkar. All right. Kazandu Mammoth is 1 green green for a 3 green. Landfall. Whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, Kazandu Mammoth gets plus 2 plus 2 until end of turn. And it's a tapped land on the other side. Eh, it's kind of bad. But it being a land makes it, you know, decent. Uh, next up, let's see. Uh, next up is Orin Reef Ooze. Uh, 2 and a green for 2-2. Two, two. When Orin Reef Ooze enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. 
and when it attacks with a plus one plus one counter on each attacking creature with a plus one plus one counter on it. Um, I don't know. I mean, this could be very good if you have a lot of creatures that already have plus one plus one counters on it. But, you know, how difficult is that to do? I think it can be good, but it is a little bit neat. Roiling Regrowth is two and a green for an instant. Sacrifice a land. Search your library for up to two green secondary cards. Put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. If you're familiar with Harrow, uh, this is the same as that, except for two different things. Harrow has them enter the battlefield untapped, whereas this has them enter tapped. So this is slightly worse. And Harrow has the sacrificing a land as an additional cost to cast a spell, whereas this has it on resolution to cast a spell. So if Harrow gets countered, you will still sacrifice the land, whereas if this gets countered, uh, Roiling Regrowth, you will not sacrifice the land. Overall, I'd say Roiling Regrowth is definitely slightly worse, but they do both have their downsides and upsides. Uh, in most decks that have Harrow, this will also be good. Alright, Scoot Swarm is two and a green for one one. Landfall. Whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, create a one one green insect creature token. If you control six or more lands, create a token that's a copy of Scoot Swarm instead. I've seen mixed reviews, but in my opinion, this is incredibly powerful. So here's the argument on both sides. Uh it's not really a debate of whether when you get six lands, you're gonna make a, t a copy of Scoot Swarm, and you're just going to make copies and copies and copies, and you're just going to get insane. The issue is how difficult it is to get to that point, and whether landfall and token creation men like go together. So, I think that landfall and token creation sort of go together. Like, they're not, you know, like, it's not necessarily the same archetype, but I do think there is a lot of you know, synergy built in with that archetype, with tokens and landfall. And as of the second question, how difficult it is to get six lands, usually I'd say that's incredibly difficult and makes this a little bit niche and hard to use. But that's wrong. The entire focus of your deck is getting lands onto the field. Getting six lands is easy. So you're just going to be able to keep on doing this over and over and over again, relatively early in the game. I, th I think this is going to be incredibly powerful and very useful in a lot of decks. I think it's going to be great. But we'll see. Maybe it'll be too slow. Because you're going to need a couple, you know, like, I mean, first land you get, you have two scoot swarm. Second land you have four. Third land you have eight. At that point it's just insane, you know. And it just gets crazier from there. So, will you be able to get three lands? I think you will, um, but, you know, maybe you'll, burn, you'll have burnt out all your abilities by the time you get to six lands. I guess we'll see. I think it's going to be incredibly powerful, though. Alright, Swarm Shamblo. Green for a 0-0, zero, zero, and it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. Whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it becomes the target of a spell an opponent controls, create a 1-1 one, one green insect creature token. One tap, put a plus one plus one counter on Swarm Shamblo. Okay, my opinion on this is meh. I mean, it being, it's all dependent on your opponent, right? By itself, it's just green for a 1-1, one, one, right? And you can add more plus and plus encounters. Now, in a deck like Vrishkar or something, if you're susceptible of just having 
green for a one uh zero zero with a plus one plus one counter on it then that's fine go for it put it in your deck but if you're not then just don't put it in your deck like sure you might get a one one uh every once in a while but it's not really gonna make a huge difference and i just don't think it's really you know gonna be a huge factor if you're in a deck like Rishkar or something that's okay with just having a zero zero with a plus one plus one counter on it then go for it all right Kajuru paragon is one in a green for three two it is also a cleric rogue warrior and wizard so you can choose uh so it's good in party decks because it can be you know whichever part of your party you're missing all right uh and it has kicker three when it enters the battlefield if it was picked reveal the top six cards of your library you may put a card that shares a creature type with it from among from among them into your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order so this is incredibly good because first of all it is a part of your party second of all you get another part of your party and third of all you're probably going to have some other parts of your party already so this is great to you know fill out your party oh yeah all right next is Tangle's Lorahedron. One in a green for a 1 1. Tap it for green. And on the other side, it's a land and it enters the battlefield tapped. So if you've got plenty of lands, you can just play it at ramp. And if you don't, you can play it as a land. I think this is interesting. I mean, I don't really know. You know, like it's definitely an interesting take on ramp. And if you don't have enough lands, you don't need to play it. But if you have a lot, then you can ramp up and just get some momentum. So I think this will be good, but it's not going to be like an instant staple or anything. So index that care about it or like two mana ramp or something like that, it will definitely see play. All right, turn timber symbiosis is four green, green, green for sorcerers. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield. If that can, if that card has converted mana cost three or less. It enters with three additional plus one plus one counters on it. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, on the other side, it has uh, a land and it can enter tapped or you can pay three life and it'll enter until untapped. So, you get to look at the top seven. That's a lot. It is seven mana though. And then you can put a creature from among them uh, onto the battlefield. And it has... If it has CMC 3 or less, it enters with 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. So, I don't know. I don't think this is really worth it. For 7 mana, you could just replace that with an incredibly powerful creature. And it'd be usually better than what you'd get from that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think you should just play a powerful creature here. Rather, sorry, I had a hiccup. Rather than, you know, hoping you'll get one from the top. You can't get multiple and getting plus one plus one counters on something is just probably worse than if you had just had the powerful card in the first place. Alright, and now we are on to multicolors. So, I'm just gonna, you know, go through these now. Aki, Fearless Voyager, is one red-white for a 3-3 legendary creature, Core Warrior. Whenever you attack a player with one or more equipped creatures, draw a card. So, I think this is interesting. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a good amount of red-white 
uh, equipment equipment commanders, but I think it's nice to still be able to attack, you know, like that's, that's red white's thing, you know, you're still attacking, but you're also drawing cards, so you can attack, and you can play all these things, and just go for it, but if you just run out of fuel, or if you get razzed or something, you'll have something to come at them, you'll still have equipment, you'll still be able to cast more creatures, things like that, you will have something to do if you just get screwed over, all right, and Brushfire Elemental is red-green for a 1-1 with haste. It can't be blocked by creatures with power 2 or less, and it has landfall. Whenever a land touches the battlefield under your control, it gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. Has utility, not the best thing in the world. Cleric of Life's Bond is white-black for a 2-2. Whenever another cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. And whenever you gain a life, gain life for the first time each turn, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on Cleric of Life's Bond. This is great in cleric decks, which I've touched on a good amount, and, I mean, it's just, and it can get plus and plus encounters. It can be quite good. Uh, Grok Maw, uh, Skyclave Ravager is one black green for a zero zero. It enters the battlefield with three plus one plus encounters on it, and whenever another creature you control dies, if it had a plus one plus encounter on it, Put a plus one plus one counter on Grakma. When Grakma dies, create an XX black, black and green Hydra to creature token, where X is the number of plus one plus one counters on Grakma. Eh, seems kind of bad, honestly. I mean, you get to kill a lot of creatures and stuff, and put plus one plus one counters on Grakma, and then you just get a big creature, which isn't that great, and then you can kill it and then you get another big creature which also isn't that great i mean you're just putting in a lot of work for really not very much payoff especially because uh creating tokens is also you know quite difficult to do doesn't seem like the greatest payoff maybe maybe it'll work but it just doesn't seem that that efficient or effective all right kaza royal chaser is red blue for a 1-2 flying haste, legendary creature, human wizard. Tap. The next instant or sorcery spell you cast this turn costs X less to tap, where X is the number of wizards you control as this ability resolves. Wizards and is it and all that stuff have a lot of association with, um, with instants and sorceries. So I guess it's just another option for a wizard, instant, and sorcery tribal deck. And I think it could be interesting. I mean, having a lot of huge X spells, for example, or just a lot of huge spells in general, could be one way to take advantage of this so you can cast them super early. I don't really know exactly how you, how you would do it, but I think it could make an interesting deck. Alright, Linvala, Shield of Seagate, is one blue, white, for a 3-3 flying legendary creature, Angel Wizard. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, choose target non-land permanent and opponent control. Until your next turn, it can't attack and block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. Sacrifice Linvala. Choose Hexproof or Indestructible. Creatures you control gain that ability until end of turn. So, eh, I don't know. I mean, you could have this as a second um, party deck, but I just don't think it's as good as Kazri. And, I mean, having protection, great, um, but 
as the commander, it's not the most important thing. So, I don't know. I guess it's a party deck, but it just doesn't really help your theme. It just gives you a little bit extra benefit for doing the theme. Alright, uh, next up is Nahiri, Era of the Ancients. Two red white for four loyalty legendary planeswalker Nahir. Plus one. Create a one one white core warrior creature token. You may attach an equipment you control to it. Negative two. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal an, a warrior or equipment card from among them and put it on into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And negative three. Nahir, Nahiri, heir of the ancients, deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to twice the number of equipment you control. Uh, the plus one is kind of bad. Negative two is alright. I mean, getting cards into your hand is nice in Goros. And the negative three is just kind of bad. You're not going to have that many equipment. So, I don't know. Overall, seems like not the greatest planeswalker, but it could definitely have utility. Alright, Nissa of Shattered Bows. Uh, I, t I actually talked about this earlier in a link uh, a long time ago. It is two black green for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Nissa. Landfall, whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, put a loyalty counter on Nissa of Shattered Bows. Uh, plus one, untap target land you control. You may have it become a 3-3 elemental with haste and menace until end of turn. It's still on land. And negative five, you may put a creature with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. So, the plus one is nice. I mean, it's not really particularly powerful, but it's a little bit helpful to have. And the negative five can be very useful to be able to bring something back. But, I mean, considering it's the only particularly useful part of the card, paying four mana for it isn't the best thing. It's not the best use of your mana. So, it's alright, um, but it's not... A particularly powerful card. I mean, having landfall to get loyalty seems quite powerful, but the payoff just isn't quite there. Omnath, Locus of Creation, is the four-color Omnath. I'm super hyped for the five-color Omnath now. We'll see what that is. Uh, it is red, green, white, blue for four-four legendary creature elemental. When Omnath, Locus of Creation, enters the battlefield, draw a card. And it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain 4 life. If this is the first time this ability has resolved this turn, uh, if it's the second time, add red, green, white, blue. If it's the third time, Omnath deals 4 damage to each opponent and each planeswalker you don't control. So I could definitely see Omnath as a very powerful 4-color commander as an alternative and as a good landfall commander. Um, it's just a way that you can get just about everything except for black within the landfall, you know. There's not too much else that cares about landfall uh, in black. Alright, next up is Aura, Skyclave Hierophant. Two white, black for 3-3 three, three legendary creature, Cork Scarlet, with lifeless. Whenever Aura, Skyclave Hierophant, or another cleric you control dies, return target cleric with lesser converted mana cost from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is incredibly powerful. And I did an episode on it uh, a while ago. So I'll leave a link in the description to the Aura deck tech. And, you know, hopefully you check it out if you want to build that deck. But other than that, I mean, it's alright. It's very good. And 
if you build around it carefully, it can be very good. But you have to be very careful with how you do build around it, because it's just hard to piece it together quite right. And I think I did a good job. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't know. I guess you'd have to test it out, which I did that episode on short notice. And there's a couple new cards that I actually did talk about in this episode um, that I did not include in there because I didn't know they existed yet. So, that's the thing. Alright, my last world scope here is 4 red green for a 5-5. Five, five. When it enters the battlefield, create a 0-1 green plant creature token for each basic land you control. And landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put 4 plus 1 plus 1 counters on target plant you control. So, getting tons and tons of creatures when it enters is honestly the part I'd say you take advantage of. I don't know if this is necessarily a landfall deck. This could just be a better token deck. I don't know. I mean, being able to make tons and tons of plants is nice. But them being zero power does make it a whole lot more difficult to take advantage of. So I guess we'll see. Uh, I think this could go either way. Could be a landfall deck, could be a token deck, but in either in either case, it's kind of outclassed. Maybe it, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about the token in gruel combo, but I'm pretty sure it is. Alright, so next up is Verizolve, the Split Current. X, green, blue, for a 0-0. Verizolve, the Split Current, enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each mana spent to cast it. Whenever you cast a kick spell, you may remove two plus one plus one counters on from Verizon. If you do, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So, I mean, at the end, I mean, this is gonna have to have, you know, a lot of plus one plus one counters on it. At least two if you want to do it, you know, once. But it seems expensive to cast. And then afterwards, you have to cast a kick spell. It seems to me like the best way is to either put plus one plus one counters on it some other way or to just use something else entirely to, you know, copy it. I mean, it's a commander, so it definitely does serve the role as a kicker commander, but we already have that in, Go -Go in Gruul. So I'd like to have it in uh, red, green, blue, which would be Teamer. So... That's that'd probably be my favorite, my preferred color combination. But I guess they're doing two color, uh, two color commanders. It seems alright. I mean, it does it functions in the role, but not incredibly powerful. All right, Yasharn Implacable Earth is two green white for a legendary creature, Elemental Boar. When Yasharn enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic forest card and a basic lands card, reveal those cards, and put them under your hand. Then shuffle your library. Uh, players can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanents, cast spells, or activate abilities. So, I don't know. I mean, the second ability it can be incredibly powerful. Think of fetch lands and all of these different things. It will be very, very good. Um, keep in mind, mana abilities are exempt from this, or maybe they're not. I don't know. Mana abilities have weird rules, so they may or may not be exempt from this. Uh, 
time. Being able to get lands to put in your hand is nice, but it doesn't really fill any archetypes. I mean, you could say, oh yeah, play extra lands every turn archetype, but that's just a terrible idea. I mean, if you have too many cards that do that, you're just gonna, you know, waste value. You won't, you don't want very many of those cards. There's very much a, a limit to how many you should play, because you only want one, basically. One card that says you can play an extra land every turn. Alright, Zagros, Thief of Heartbeats, is 4 red black for a 4-4. Four, four. Uh, legendary creature vampire bolt. This spell costs 1 less to cast for each creature in your party. And it has flying, death touch, and haste. Other creatures you control have death touch. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker. So, let's break this down. This is a lot of conflicting themes. So, it costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. That is the only thing that it mentions about parties, and it is a rogue, so it could potentially have some synergy with a party deck, but I don't think Rakdos is a great color for that, and I also don't think this is a great commander for it. So, it could work, but not necessarily best. Uh, flying Death Touch Haste, nice abilities, not really pointing to a deck. You definitely can use those, especially Death Touch for a deck, but we'll touch that on the touch on that in a second. Other creatures you control have death touch, and whenever a creature you control deals damage to a uh, planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker. So that's what I think the deck is. I think it's a death touch deck, and there's a lot of different ways to take advantage of that. Maybe a pillar deck, maybe an evasion deck, whatever it is. There's a lot of ways to take advantage, but I think it's a pinger deck. It's like a death touch deck. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what people do with it. Zareth Sam, the Trickster. Three blue-black for four-four with flash. Two blue-black. Return an unblocked attacking rogue you control to its owner's hand, and put Zareth Sam, the Trickster, from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. Whenever Zareth Sam deals combat damage to a player, you may put target permanent card from that player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. So, I mean, being able to just use rogues and all that stuff rogue un like unblockable all that stuff it's a well-established well i wouldn't say well-established archetype it's an archetype that has been that is common somewhat commonly played i'm sorry i'm really biased because i have a person in my meta that plays it a lot so i'm just like yeah this is a super common well-played archetype but it's not uh it's just in my meta i'm used to it uh there's a that is a thing you know like unblockable with rogues and you know, uh, getting through and replacing and all that stuff that I can't remember the keywords names for, is an archetype. Alright, so that is all the multicolored cards, so now we are on to the colorless cards. Forsaken Monument is 5 for a legendary artifact. Colorless creatures you control get plus 2 plus 2. Whenever you tap a permanent for mana, uh, sorry, whenever you tap a permanent for colorless, add an additional colorless, and whenever you cast a colorless spell, you gain two life. So, this is very good in colorless decks. Giving colorless creatures plus two plus two is very good for five mana. That's pretty typical if that were the only thing on the spell. Doubling mana is also very powerful, and that extra two life for casting colorless spells is just a nice little bonus. 
So this will be good in colorless decks, um, but they're not very common, so this won't see too much play. Alright, Lithoform Engine is 4 for Legendary Artifact. 2. Tap. Copy target activated or triggered ability you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. 3. Tap. Copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. And 4. Tap. Copy target permanent you control. That copy becomes a, a, a token. Sorry, a permanent spell. So the way that would work is while the permanent while the spell is on the stack, if it's a permanent, you can copy it and you'll get a copy. So it, you won't be able to do it while it's on the battlefield. Alright, so what's my take on this? I've heard a lot of different takes on this and there are also some combos with it. Uh, but my opinion on it is it's not that great. It is very expensive for these abilities. I mean, 6 mana for copying an activated or triggered ability, or 7 mana for copying an instant or sorcery, all these things you have to activate it many, many times in order for it to be worth it. And it just doesn't seem that great. If you can consistently use this as part of a combo engine, it's quite good. Or if you just have some really good synergy that makes it worth it, maybe it will be. But in the vast majority of cases, I don't think you're going to be able to activate this enough times for it to be good value. I mean, activating it two times makes it honestly still pretty bad. You'd have to activate this three, maybe even four times for it to be even decent, which just isn't that likely and is incredibly mana intensive. So that's my take on it. I mean, it definitely could be it definitely could be good and you don't necessarily want to rule it out, but it's not necessarily going to be. Uh, Myriad Construct is 4 for 4 4 with Kicker 3. If Myriad Construct was picked, it enters the battlefield with a plus 1 plus 1 counter on it for each non-basic lands your opponents control. And when Myriad Construct becomes the target of a spell, sacrifice it and create a number of 1 1 colorless construct artifact creature tokens equal to its power. So set, if we cast it for its baseline, then it's, you know, a 4-mana four 4-4, four, four, which is pretty bad, and if it gets removed, then you can get some, you can get some constructs. Uh, the important part about this is it doesn't have to be an opponent's spell. So, for example, in something like a Zada deck, where you can replicate and it can become a target of a spell very easily, then this can be a way to make tokens, especially because in that type of deck there are a lot of pump effects, although that wouldn't work particularly well because it would die before the spell resolved, so that would be <laughs> problematic. Uh, especially because in that type of deck, it would um, it would give you the tokens, and that deck that type of deck often cares about having tokens. All right. Uh, also, for this first part, if it's kicked, so it would be seven mana, which is quite a lot. And it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each non-basic land your opponents control. So that in commander, I would say, would be quite a lot. This would be a very large creature and a good way to make a lot of tokens. Uh, so in a deck that cares about tokens and cares about sacrifice, so maybe like a looping over and over again, maybe a Soul Sisters deck or something. Alright, next is Skyclave Relic. 3 for an artifact, kicker 3, indestructible. 
When Skyclave Relic enters the battlefield, if that if it was kicked, create two tapped tokens that are copies of Skyclave Relic. And you can tap it to add one mana of any color. So if you don't kick it, it's a three mana mana rock that's indestructible and can tap to add one mana of any color. That is pretty good. Um, it's definitely not one of the best um, mana rocks, but it definitely holds its own weight. Or if you do kick it for, for six mana, you get three of those. So three cards that can tap for one mana. And you'll get one of that mana back immediately because the original would enter untapped. So, I don't know. I think it's pretty good, but it is quite a lot of mana if you want to kick it. So in some decks, uh, it would care about it, but in a, a lot of others, it could just be kind of bad. Alright, so then there's one more cycle. Uh, there's lands that enter the battlefield, and you can choose. You can choose which side you want to play it on. So you can either tap it for one color or tap it on the other color, deciding uh, depending on which side you choose. To clarify, one example would be Boulderloft Pathway. It's a land, and you can tap it for white. Or, when you play it, you can choose to play it as Branchloft Pathway. It's a land, and you can tap it for green. So, there are lots of examples of this, and there are uh, five of these printed. One, two, three, four, five, six printed. Um, that doesn't really make sense, so I must be confused. I don't know why there would be six. I'm not sure if I'm confused or if they just decided to do six. Um, that's a little weird. But there are six of these, uh, and what am I, why is it six? Okay, I'm sorry. So there are six of these cards, and you can choose which side to play on it. In my opinion, these are extremely powerful. I would say that these are strictly better land, basic lands. And that's an issue. So, basically, the difference between these and basic lands is these are not basics, so they can't be searched out of your deck, which, in my opinion, is almost never an issue. The only time it matters is if you are running out of a specific type of land, which in most decks isn't an issue. Maybe if you have a lot, a lot of colors, but that's 99% of the time not an issue or if you're just tutoring for tons and tons of lands, but in most decks you're not going to have to worry about that. And the second time it would matter is, is non-existent. Like, if you have a forest, it's exactly the same if you search it out of your library. So then, you know, if you're not searching it from it out of your library, if you're getting it in your hand, what's the difference? Well, the difference is it's still not a basic, right? But these are better, because you can choose whether you're going to need that green or whether you're going to need that white, or whatever other two colors it would be. So, these are better in that situation. The only downside uh, is that um, if you have a card that cares about the number of basics you have or something similar, then you're not going to get that full value. But that's also extremely uncommon. So, in my opinion, these are much, much better than basic lands, and therefore will see a lot of play. So, anything that's just an upgrade, you know, like you don't have to do anything, it's just better, will see a lot of play and become fairly expensive. These are also rares, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think this is going to be incredibly powerful. Alright, 
two more cards. Crawling Barons is a land. You can tap it for colorless, or you can pay four and put two plus one plus one counters on Crawling Baron. Then you may have it become a zero zero elemental creature until end of turn. It's still a land. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, being able to put that plus one plus one counters on it can just be some decent value if you're in a colorless deck. Or you can take advantage of it. There are a whole lot of decks that can take very good advantage of this and just get a ton of value. I don't really, can't really think of very many examples off the top of my head, but I just have heard so many examples of where this would fit very well. So just think about your decks and be like, does this synergize in some really awesome way? Alright, Throne of McKinney is a land and you can tap it for colorless. And you can pay one and tap it to put a charge counter on Throne of McKindy. And then you can tap it and remove a charge counter from Throne of McKindy to add two mana of any one color. Spend this mana uh, uh, only to cast Kicked Spells. Uh, my opinion on this is a little mixed. If you are in a kicker deck, you know, like you're not going to be in too many colors. Either two or three colors. So... You know, you're not going to care about the fixing, so you can make the sacrifice of having it. But it's not that great, you know? Using a mana and and a turn of that, just to get that two mana the next spell, isn't really that great. So, I could see it in a charge deck, and uh, sorry, a kicker deck, and you could get some value, but it's just not going to be that powerful. Alright, and for the last topics, uh are the Zendikar Rising Commander decks. So I will leave a link in the description to these, uh, and I'm not going to go through them too much, but I would say these are pretty decent. I mean, these are like most other Commander decks. You can just pull them out and you can play. These aren't, I wouldn't say these are as powerful as the last year, but they're coherent decks and they will do, they will function, they will work. Uh, so I think these are pretty cool. Uh, but there aren't very many new cards. So these decks, I think, function a semi-different uh, role than the other previous commander decks. In the other previous commander decks, it had a mixed role, right? You could either give it to a new player, have a new player buy it, whatever, and it could be their first deck. It could be how they get into commander, that type of thing. Or it could be, you know, getting some good, some good value cards, reprinting cards, you know, um making printing new cards that are really interesting but these decks i think that they just decided you know what we are not going to do multiple goals we are going to focus on one goal getting a good playable deck to new players and i think they did a really good job my favorite thing about these decks is they are 20 dollars a piece you could buy two of them for 40 dollars you could buy both for the price of the ones last year. So I think that is awesome. And I think that's going to be great for new players. $20 as an entrance is very, very different than 40 So I think this is awesome and is going to be great for entering players. And you can compete, right? There's not as much value or as many things in here. But there are things, you know. And it's a well-put-together deck. So, I don't I mean, we will have to see, but I think this is a great way to get people into the format. Uh, I don't think it really matches on the other goals that we want. 
but that's not the purpose of this product. And, you know, maybe you're like, well, you don't like the mindset of this product isn't for you. Every product should be for everyone. But I don't think that's true with some, you know, like, I don't think that has to always be true. I don't think every product can, you know, satisfy everyone. And if you can make some sacrifices and just focus on one group, then you can give them a really good product. And I don't like that for whales as much because that's not very many people. And that's not really making growth in the community, you know, it's kind of killing it. It's making everything expensive. But with new players, I think that's okay. So also, you know, a lot of the things that are focused and built around new players are just kind of trashy and scammy a little, honestly. So I don't know. But there are also some new players, so new cards, so I'm going to read those off. There are only six. So in the Land's Wrath deck, there is a new commander, Obun Moldiah Ancestor. It is one red, green, white for 3-3 legendary creature elf spirit. At the beginning of combat on your turn, up to one target land you control becomes an XX elemental creature token uh, creature with trample and haste until end of turn, where X is Obun's power. It's still a land. And it has landfall. Whenever a land enters a battlefield under control, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. So it's a land deck um, that also focuses on getting some power on creatures and things like that, which is interesting. I mean, I don't think it's a great commander, but this is the one on the front and it could work. I mean, it works fairly well, you know, like, I don't think it's optimal or really that great of a way to utilize landfall because that's not what landfall is taking advantage of but you know it does the thing okay trove warden is two white white for three four with vigilance landfall whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control exile target permanent card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard and when trove warden dies put each permanent card exiled with it onto the battlefield under the control of that card's owner so you can just get tons and tons of cards out when it dies so it could be like a wrath deterrent or something or a way to get back after a wrath if you have some way to kill it all right next is geode razor four red red for four three with first strike landfall whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control goad each play each creature target player controls until your next turn those creatures attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able so, it's a 4-3, and it'll just goad lots of creatures. Every single creature is pretty nice. Uh, goading is an interesting mechanic that can be fun to mess around with. But, I don't know. I mean, goading is also a little weird to mess with. Like, is it really that great as just every deck, in every deck? I think it's nice utility, but not that great. Alright, and the next deck, Sneak Attack, also has three new cards. Uh, the commander on the face of the deck is Anawan, the Rune Thief. Two blue, black for 2-4. Other rogues you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever one or more rogues you control deal combat damage to a player, that player mills a card for each one damage dealt to them. If the player mills at least one creature card this way, you draw a card. So, this way... It kind of focuses you on attacking multiple players. 
uh, but enough focused at each player so you can get that creature, or at least be likely to get that creature. So, I don't know. I mean, rogues being unblockable and being able to get through is a good thing to take advantage of, but it doesn't really work as well on the try and get one creature through so you can replace it aspect. I mean, it does work, but it's just not really what it's pushing you towards. It's pushing you towards having a lot of rogues, which can work, and you can, you know, do a lot of swapping, but a lot of the rogues have giant, you know, effect when they deal combat damage. Alright, Enigma Thief is 5 blue-blue for a 5-5 five, five creature Sphinx Rogue. And it has Prowl, 3 and a blue. You may cast a spell for its Prowl cost if you dealt combat damage to a player this, this turn with a Sphinx or Rogue. And it has Flying. Uh, when Enigma Thief enters the battlefield for each opponent, opponent return up to one target non-land permanent that player's controls to, their, to its owner's hand. For 4 mana, this is amazing. For 7 mana, this is pretty bad. But if you can consistently get that cast for 4 mana, then it's pretty good. I mean, it doesn't... I do think it's nice to be able to get some stuff out of the way, like flyers and stuff, so you can deal damage more consistently. Alright, Whisper Steel Dagger is 2 and a black for an artifact equipment. Uh, equipped creature gets plus 2 plus 0. And whenever a equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you may cast a creature spell from that player's graveyard this turn, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it, to cast that spell. So you want to deal combat damage, and then you can cast something out of their graveyard, which is, you know, useful, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem that great. It's quite expensive to get onto a creature. You then have to deal combat damage, and your deck doesn't really care that much about, you know, equipment. So this is alright, uh, but, you know... It's not the best thing in the world. Alright, well, that's all I have for you today. I mean, the, this is the deck. This is the set. Uh, I tried to go over everything, and I covered most of the important cards. I'd say all of the important cards. I will leave a link in the description to basically everything I referenced, unless I just completely forget and don't notice it all during editing. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um... But I will leave a link in the description to uh, basically the Zendikar Rising Commander deck list and a Scryfall link where you can see all the cards uh, that are new. So uh, I will also leave a link for all the cards that are reprints and a couple episodes that I've done in the past that I talked about earlier. Thank you for listening and I will see you next time.